Hello, and welcome to the Learn Gray podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Schmidt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, the next episode of the Learn Gray podcast. And today, my guest is my friend and attorney that I do lots of work with here at Black Hills Advocate, Drew Scholdahl, with Knees, Karis, and Scholdahl. Um, attorneys in Spearfish. So welcome, Drew. So glad you're here today. Thank you, Jenny. And we were just trying to figure out um, how long we've worked together. And what did you come up with for a year? I think that we started working together some in about 2017. And then I, I started working really heavily with Black Hills Advocate in probably January of 2019, so more than three years now. That's awesome. And we have done a wide variety of cases together and um, been to the South Dakota Supreme Court together, and we have developed uh, what I would consider a pretty deep professional relationship and also a friendship along the way, which I've greatly appreciated. So I think you are a very gifted attorney. Uh, You're a great listener, and I think you do a tremendous job um, for us here at Black Hills Advocate, and I've really appreciated being your partner along the way. So I'm really glad to have you here today. Thank you, Jenny. I'm happy to be here. This is weird. We're sitting here right now looking at each other, talking into this microphone, and (laughs) like we're talking to other people, but we're just good friends having a conversation. This is fun. Yeah. So um, to kick it off, I guess, tell everyone who's listening a little bit about your background, um, where you grew up, and what led you into a law career. So I grew up on a cattle ranch in in Perkins County in South Dakota, which is um, uh, bison and lemon are some of the uh, metropolises in that county. So I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere on on a cattle ranch and and grew up doing a lot of work on the ranch and, and spending a lot of time, um, you know, out, out in nature and out doing physical work. And I have two sisters um, who I brag about to anybody who will listen. They're, they're extremely tough and they're um, just super good people and, and uh, were really shaped by growing up on that ranch in a, in a lot of positive ways, I feel like. I went to college at Black Hill State University in Spearfish and then moved to the Cincinnati area for six years and went to law school out there, actually on the Kentucky side of the river, um, of the Ohio River, and then practiced in downtown Cincinnati for a few years. So I moved back to Spearfish in 2016 and I've been living and, and practicing law in Spearfish since. And I loved having the opportunity to go and work in a big city and, you know, um, Growing up on a cattle ranch, it was everything about that was unique to me of being in traffic and and all these different sorts of people and and the culture of a big city. Um, but then once you know we had a couple of kids and and uh, wanted to get back to where we were from and, and returning to South Dakota has been a great move for me and my family and and we love the city of Spearfish. That's awesome. I you know I had kind of a similar experience. I. Um, joined the Navy right after high school and uh, then I ended up going to college after I got out of the Navy on my GI Bill outside Chicago and I stayed and lived and worked in Chicago for 
um, about five years before I moved back to Rapid City. And I think moving back to South Dakota after having sort of a metropolitan city experience was really cool because in the city, I sort of felt like I was on the never ending field trip of, you know, observing a different way of life, different, um, different kinds of people and um, industry and just the busyness of that. And then coming back to the peace of South Dakota um, gave me a whole new appreciation from, you know, having grown up here, but maybe not appreciating it um, in a, in the deep way that I, that I do now. So yeah, I agree. Kind of cool. So tell us, um, what's your, if you had to say like, what, what's your happy place and what do you, what do you love to do in your spare time? One of the great things about living in Spearfish is there's a lot of stuff to do outside. There's, we live near a bike path in town. Uh, There's a lot of trails that you can access just right outside of Spearfish. And, um, I have four young kids and, and probably the thing that makes me the most happy is to be active with my kids to take them on a bike ride or um, take them on a hike um, and just explore with them and and be active and try to model a you know a healthy active lifestyle and and just how much they love that quality time with their dad of of being out and doing stuff and having an adventure um, is definitely a, a really bright spot in my life that's awesome I think um, there's definitely something to be said for raising kids in fresh air and allowing them to grow up connected to nature. Um, I know in my life it gives me a tremendous sense of peace to be in nature and I feel like that's a gift that I definitely want to pass on to my kids. Yeah, so. I agree. I know some attorneys um, specialize in certain areas of law and some do a little bit of everything. Tell us a little bit about um, your law practice and if you specialize in a certain area. Yeah, well, well, obviously since, since we're talking and since we work together, I do a lot of work in guardianship and conservatorship cases which involve um, a, a protected person that, that has diminished capacity for, for whatever reason, whether a lot of times in the elderly population that's dementia or Alzheimer's, and then in um, younger adults or in, um, in situations like that, sometimes there's advanced you know, developmental issues or mental illness or something that's causing them to not be able to make their own decisions with their finances and then also life decisions as far as where, where they should live and um, if they need to be uh, have some kind of level of care in a facility or something. So. That process involves going to the court and, in, in the case of Black Hills Advocate, asking the court to name Black Hills Advocate as that person's guardian and conservator so that someone is able to make decisions for them and there's court oversight of the process to make sure that that person is being taken care of. Um, so that, that's a major element of my practice. Uh, I also do a lot of estate planning, which is the process of talking to people about um, what they own and and their family or who it is that they want to pass things on to and then the end result of that is often drafting a last will and testament or a trust or some other document that provides a way to pass on what they have to to their family or or whoever it is they want to leave it to whether that's charity or or friends or whatever and then I also do a lot of work on the back end of estate planning um, which is 
probate and trust administration after somebody passes away. I help the family navigate that process of going through the court process or going through the trust administration process of paying off creditors um, and finalizing everything and getting those assets out to to their heirs. And I also do um, other transactional stuff. Um, I represent a couple of cooperatives, uh, an electric company, a telephone cooperative, and then I do a lot of general real estate law. Um, so I, I would say I pretty much do everything except for what everyone thinks lawyers do. I don't go to court <laughs> regularly. Um, I don't, you know, I don't do criminal law. I, I don't do family law, so I don't do divorces or anything like that. And so it's mostly a transactional practice, meaning I do a lot of planning for people and, and try to nip problems in the bud before, before they become problems at all. So you and I do a lot of work together in the areas of elder abuse, uh, neglect, financial exploitation, and you know we've been involved over the years in some pretty intense cases together, um, some pretty heartbreaking cases, um, and I've always appreciated having you alongside me as my wingman. Um, one question I've always wanted to ask you is um, how you feel about this journey that we've been on together and and what impact it's had on you as a person. Yeah, the work that I do for Black Hills Advocate is is extremely rewarding and we've done some some really interesting work. You mentioned earlier we went to the South Dakota Supreme Court on a case and and found out a few months ago that we, we succeeded and not only did we go to the Supreme Court, but the, the Supreme Court requested oral arguments, which they do on a, a very small percentage of cases. So we got to go to Pierre, and and I got to do that oral argument, and you were obviously there, Jenny, and and it was it was really intense, and it was it was really rewarding. And then to find out that we succeeded, not not just because it was a, a thrill of of doing that, but just the underlying issues that we were fighting for for that vulnerable adult were were really extreme and and it's really gratifying to know that we we got a result for him um and we've we've just had a lot of wild stuff happen in in black hills advocate cases we've you know a lot of a lot of your clients and a lot of the protected people um have have mental illness or they they have issues that are causing a lot of instability in their lives and situations they've created or people who are preying upon them because they're vulnerable and we've had to I mean, there hasn't been a cookie cutter kind of every case is the same. <laughs> Definitely, um, not. and it's exciting and it's super rewarding. And I value your you and your company and your empathy and your um, desire to serve vulnerable people. Um, it's it's a bright spot in my law practice for sure, and it, I've enjoyed it a ton. Thanks. Um, it's been great, and you know, kind of back to that South Dakota Supreme Court experience. It was so cool because. We were able to drive over to Pierre the day before the oral argument and um, go into the Supreme Court, you know, the room where uh, you were going to argue that case. And it was really, it was just a powerful moment. I, I just have this snapshot in my brain of you kind of standing at that table where you were going to stand the next day and really kind of feeling the, I mean, that's a powerful space. It's a it's kind of like the inner sanctum, you know, and sort of the, the holy grail of South Dakota law practice, I think, to be able to argue cases um, and knowing that there were going to be 
the Supreme Court justices up there um, the next day. And um, it was a really, it was a really interesting and powerful moment um, for me because up to that point we'd done literally two years of work to get up yeah. get to that point and I think was it two days ago we just got a check for over three hundred seventy five thousand yeah. dollars um, to uh, related to the judgment for the client so yeah and and going back to that Supreme Court I, I remember that moment too and and I remember trying to stay in a good headspace because it, it's easy to get nervous because, you know, um, I guess anybody who's who's heard oral arguments before the South or United States Supreme Court, um, it, it's somewhat similar to that in that you're, you start out giving an argument and you've prepared basically a speech, but you know they're going to interrupt you constantly um, with questions and, and, and you have to be able to be flexible and to... to to deal with issues that you can tell are, are of importance to them. And then when they're done asking questions, there's just kind of this silence and it's assumed that you're going to go back into your presentation. And, and there's, I did a lot of preparation for that, but there's really no way to, to prepare for it fully because you have no idea what's going to happen. And what helped me keep from getting nervous is rather than thinking about you know, am I, am I going to screw this up? Am, are they going to ask a question and I'm going to just fumble it and, and not know what they're talking about was just to think, like you said, this is, this is a huge deal to be able to stand in front of the, the highest court in our state. And I just thought of it as I get to tell these justices about the work that I've been doing for the last two years and, and, and what I want to accomplish and why I think we were right and why what we're doing is right. And I just saw it as an opportunity to, to tell them about it, you know, just have a conversation with them. And I, I somehow stayed in that kind of positive mind space for the, for the oral argument. And that was, that was helpful. And what, that was your first time, right? Yeah, it was. And so, um, I was really, I felt really lucky to share that experience with you. And, um, yeah, it just felt like a, a, culmination moment of all of the work that we had done together up at, up to that point and the fact that we prevailed and won um, made it even better so and, and like you said the, the the lawsuit or you know in, in cases where you're seeking a, a money judgment um, or you're seek, seeking a return of property or something you know if, if you watch shows on TV about about you know legal thrillers and stuff the the when the case ends when when the judge basically says you have prevailed that's kind of the end of the story it's like all right we won now everything's going to be okay but but unfortunately the truth of law practice and litigation is that the story rolls over until you've gotten paid and sometimes winning and getting paid are two very different things because right. after the judgment um either the defendant doesn't have the resources or they're able to do certain things to make getting paid very difficult. So really winning at the Supreme Court was not the end of the story. As, as gratifying as that was, like you said, actually enforcing our judgment and getting this money for the protected person, that was the win, you know? Yeah, huge. Um, and for anybody who's interested, I'm going to link um, the Supreme Court case in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes and read all about it if you're interested in in reading more about our work on that case. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, this is one thing uh, that we don't usually discuss. We don't usually get to talk about the cases that we work on together, but because 
this became known in the public domain, we are able to, to share yeah, it's, a little it's bit. it's public record. There's a published Supreme Court opinion um, detailing everything that we did. It's, it's out there for everyone to, to read if they want. Yeah, good job. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what are some things you might be able to tell people who are aging about the type of planning that they need to have in place for the future? Well, you know, if everyone should have an estate plan and, and an estate plan, like I said, is it can be a will or it can be a trust or it can just be um, setting up your beneficiary designation so things go uh, where you want them to go. Uh, if you don't have a will or if you don't have a trust or anything, the, the state of South Dakota has one for you. And in our laws, it, it sends assets to basically our legislature's best guess of where you would want them to go. So a lot of times people do their first estate plan. Uh, I know you asked about an aging population, but a lot of times families will do their first estate plan when they have their first child because a will is the only place you can make a legally recognizable designation of a guardian for your children if you were to pass away. And so even though you may not have much in the way of assets, getting a will put together when, when you've got children is, is important. And then as people, people age and their kids are out of the house and they're kind of making their final or, or more serious estate plan, a lot of times that turns to trust-based estate planning. And the reason for that is um, w when people are, are getting older, they want to make things as easy as possible for their kids as they can. And going through probate court, which is what will happen if, if you haven't done a little bit more advanced planning, um, is, is not something that people oftentimes want their family to deal with. Just because there's time delays dealing with the court process, there's there's a lot of expense involved in probate, and then also probate is a, is a, a court file, and, and therefore there's some lack of privacy, which bothers a lot of people. And so, you know, anybody who's thinking about what's going to happen when they pass in terms of how things are going to go down to their kids really should meet with an estate planning attorney, somebody who specializes in it, and really talk about the options and figure out what they want to do. And do you do um, powers of attorney uh, as part of an estate plan? And maybe just kind of break down what a power of attorney does and I guess what happens if somebody doesn't have a power of attorney and becomes incapacitated. Yeah, and that really relates to what, what we do with, with Black Hills Advocates. So a, a, there's a couple different kinds of powers of attorney. There's a power of attorney for finances, which basically says if, if you're unconscious or incapacitated due to, um, you know, a lot of times it shows, shows up in dementia or Alzheimer's as people age. If you're unable to make sound financial decisions for yourself anymore during your lifetime, that you've named a person or a company to be able to make those decisions for you. And so that's a really important document, and that's something that myself and any other estate planning attorney should include when they're drafting a will or a trust, um, because it, it's critical. And a lot of times when we, we do work with Black Hills Advocate, if, if they would have had a power of attorney in place, and if they had somebody who was very trustworthy that they'd named as their agent in that document, we wouldn't have had to go through the guardianship and conservatorship process with the court. We could have just relied on that document and then that person, their agent who they've named, could could have helped make decisions for them. And, and in addition to um, a financial power of attorney, there's also a medical power of attorney in a living will. 
And that basically says if you're unconscious or incapacitated, um, you're giving somebody the ability to make um, medical decisions for you, placement decisions for you, and then also end of life decisions for you. And so that's, that's a crucially important document um, because if you don't have it and you get into that space of, of not being able to make your own decisions, either, either there's no one with clear authority or the people who, who are gonna act on your behalf need to go through a, a guardianship and conservatorship process with the court, which is, it's not terrible. Our, our access to the court system in South Dakota is very good, and, and we can get things moving fairly quickly, but it's a lot more difficult than it needs to be. And so those are two very important documents. Yeah, I always view um, the guardianship conservatorship as a last resort um, when there literally is no other option in order to help people get um, either the placement that they need, the care they need, or management of their assets um, and finances. We do lots of work with Medicaid um, drawdowns and getting people qualified for um, government benefits that they may qualify for. And it's really impossible to do that without either a financial power of attorney or a guardianship and a conservatorship. So. I'm glad that you talked about that pre-planning because, you know, when I talk to people, I always say it'd be great if I could help you and you didn't need our services. Um, and those pre-planning tools are absolutely key in that. It's it's really common for for um, for a way to a file to, to come into our office of a of a child of um, of an aging person to reach out and say, hey, um, you know, mom's in the nursing home or we're having to move her in, she's got dementia. Um, and, you know, all these different agencies and, and stuff won't talk to us because we're not mom. And so it sounds like what we really need is for her to sign a power of attorney. So, you know, can we bring her in and, and have her sign that so that the child can have authority to act on her behalf? And at that point, it's, it's really too late, unfortunately, because I can't in good faith have somebody sign a power of attorney when they don't fully understand what they're doing and, and what power they're giving up to another person. And so I have to deliver bad news oftentimes in those cases and say, unfortunately, we're, this isn't gonna be a simple where, uh, situation where I draft a power of attorney and your, your mom or your dad signs it. We're gonna have to go to court and get you this authority because they've already um, beyond, they've moved beyond the point of having you know the requisite amount of legal mental capacity to make their own decisions and that decision includes signing a power of attorney so um, a lot of people um, kind of start the planning process and start thinking about this unfortunately when when it's a little bit too late when they're when they're aging parent or um, friend or, or whoever it is that they're looking out for has kind of already um, mm -hmm. gone too far yeah um, and you know, one thing we're seeing more and more of in our practice are aging adults who have uh, developmentally disabled or mentally ill adult children um, who the aging parents have cared for, you know, for that child's lifetime. And wondering what the future planning looks like for those adult children when either those parents aren't around anymore and those parents may need some case management assistance themselves because their child isn't able to help. Um, and then what what we do with to support the adult child with special needs. So are there any special legal considerations in cases like that? 
So I've, I've dealt with a number of those. So in this situation where we have aging parents with, a, with an adult child with a developmental disability, um, and, 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 and it's a situation where they're, they're never going to regain um, you know, the requisite amount of legal capacity, whether, whether they have Down syndrome or something like that that they, they've had since birth, and, and they're always going to need somebody to be able to make decisions for them. Um, what, what I've done is if there's a sibling of that um, adult child with, with disabilities, having them named as, the, as a co-guardian and conservator along with the parents so that when the parents can no longer act, the sibling is basically waiting there in the wings to, to take up that authority and decision-making power for their sibling. But you know, one of the spaces that Black Hills Advocate and organizations like it fill is not every family is set up in that way, where there's a, a good candidate to be a, a legal decision maker for their sibling or for their parent. And so that, those are the difficult cases when we've got um, somebody who really needs help and really needs someone to make decisions for them. And there's no one in the family that, that fits that description that's able to help. And so that's where I've seen Black Hills Advocate really step in and be a lifeline to to people who who need that kind of help because there's no one else out there. Yeah, you know, we have um, we have one case where there's an adult special needs child and then one other child, and we're still on board with that family because um, in the case where there's, I mean, essentially kind of an only child making decisions, both for parents and a, a special needs sibling. Um, it's really nice to have a wingman, you know? Um, and so I think one niche of our practice is only children because um, it's hard to make some of those decisions on your own without kind of vetting those ideas through uh, somebody who works in the space all the time. So, you know, we're, we're kind of blessed to come mm -hmm. alongside people and families and, and do that kind of discernment. So. Yeah. Well, I am so grateful that you were able to be here with us today. I'm going to also link Drew's contact information in the show notes so that if you've heard anything today that resonates with you or you feel like you might need some of the services and planning that uh, Drew could offer you, um, you'll be able to get in touch with him easily. And I just want you to know how grateful I am to work with you, Drew, and um, to be kind of uh, on the professional journey that we're on together. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, Jenny. You're a great person, and you really care about your clients, and, and it's been a blast to, to work these difficult cases with you, and I, I look forward to more. Thanks, Drew. All right. That does it for this episode of Learn Gray. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. And hopefully you can hit that subscribe button. And we will see you next time. Bye.